0: If we had read all of chapter 10 of Luke as one story, you would know that Jesus has first sent out 70 disciples into the countryside to preach the gospel. Those 70 people have returned to him and they are amazed at the amount of power they've been given. Jesus warns them and says, don't gloat, that power is for building up the kingdom of God. Then one from the crowd, a lawyer, asks him, who am I responsible for? And Jesus tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. Finally, chapter 10 closes with Jesus and his crowd, his party, traveling to this village where Martha lives. I want you to have that background. Because read in its absence, you might believe that Jesus is hanging out alone with these two women. There's a very famous Vermeer painting of Jesus with Mary and Martha seemingly alone in a very beautifully lit room. Read in exclusion, you can be excused for reading right over the fact that Jesus is traveling with 70 plus people. Mary and Martha obviously knew who Jesus was, and when this famous teacher comes to their town, they invite him to their home. It was the custom then, as it is now, that when someone shows up, you provide them hospitality, you give them something to eat and to drink. Martha is doing exactly what she is supposed to be doing she is providing hospitality. Mary, on the other hand, assumes the position of a disciple. She sits at the feet of the rabbi, the prerogative of men, to listen and to learn from the teacher. Still, it isn't this breach of custom that seems to irk Martha. It's the fact that Mary isn't helping. Rabbi, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to do all of the household tasks? Tell her to help me. I have a lot of sympathy for Martha here. If I had 70 or so people over to my home and my husband or my sister or my children did not help in any way, I would be very upset with them. Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and upset about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. Mary has chosen the better part. She won't be deprived of it. You may have been taught, as I was taught, that this story is about fussiness. Mary is diligently sitting and listening, while Martha is foolishly doing the housework. Historically, caregiving, hospitality, those things are women's work. Western culture has a long history of denigrating women's work. And I think that plays into, this, in, into the history of interpretation of this story. Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, assuming the position of a man, good. Martha, doing the housework, bad. So that's a bad reading of this text. One that seems to give a nod to this misogyny. But that interpretation, it doesn't hold up given everything I've already told you about chapter 10 of Luke. You might remember at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that Jesus has just finished telling the crowd the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is all about hospitality. It's about providing care to the stranger, providing care no matter who the person is. So, it makes no sense that Jesus would be condemning Martha's work, work he's just validated. I think the story is not about housework at all. It isn't about what Martha is doing. It's about how she's doing it. Depending on the translator, Martha is variously described as anxious, worried upset or distracted. Distraction is the one that gets me, perhaps because I know it so intimately. I have this image in my head of a tire spinning in the mud. It can't catch, it can't get traction. Distraction is all about motion with no forward movement. It isn't what Martha's doing, it's how she's doing it. I don't need to tell you that the world is on fire. There are demands for our time and for our attention coming at us from every corner. We need to stand up for gun control, for trans rights, for abortion rights, for civil liberties, for climate change policy. Here in Kalamazoo, we need better and saner systems and structures to deal with the homelessness crisis. Better policies for people coming back after incarceration. I could go on and on. You could go on and on. There is so much work before us. Too much work, really. Sort of a modern-day equivalent of 70 house guests descending upon us unexpectedly. I can't think of a better way to burn yourself out to become useless to the kingdom of God than trying to deal with everything all the time at once. You'll spin your wheels. You'll have no traction. Mary sits at Jesus' feet. She is learning from the rabbi. She is focused, doing one thing, the most important thing, in that moment. It's obvious to us that sitting and listening to Jesus is certainly the most important thing in the world. Sadly, you and I don't get Jesus in the room. Our choices aren't between sitting at Christ's feet or working in the world. Our choices are, in some ways, much harder. We have to figure out for ourselves what the greatest need is and to stay focused on that need, to not get distracted. Like all people, my Kalamazoo College students struggle with this. For the first time in their lives, they are often looking at the world with adult eyes, and what they see concerns them, worries them. They see the harm that they've inherited, and thank God they are motivated to fix it. But no one can do it all. When the world is on fire and the needs are many, You have to stay focused on the work that is set before you. And you can't do it all alone. And this is what's so hard about it. In this social media age, when we are called to declare opinions on all things, to hold fundraisers for all things, to be on the right side of history about all things, the burden for saving this world can feel like it rests on your shoulders and your actions but we aren't God, and we can't save anything. Let me say that again. We aren't God, and we can't save anything. All we can do is show up and do the work that is put before us with the gifts and the skills that have been given to us. Martha, distracted, running around, trying to do all the things, has missed her chance to sit at the feet of Christ. She has missed her chance to experience heaven on earth. Jesus calls her to the better portion, to focus and thus to be freed. So how do we focus? (laughs) How do we do it when the world is on fire? Uh, When there is an impossible number of absolutely critical injustices before us, how do we pursue the kingdom here and now without losing ourselves to all of the anxiety and the upset and the worry? Well, adoration isn't a bad place to start. One obvious answer is to sit with Christ, to be in Scripture to pray, to be present to the Christian community. And I suppose you already know that because you're here today. You're seeking that sort of refuge in this place. A daily practice of prayer and scripture builds an unshakable foundation. Turning to God each day, if nothing else, reminds us that we are not God that we are merely toilers in the vineyard and that we are lucky to participate. I'd also like to offer one other suggestion, something from a class that I used to teach on discernment. When you have too many options, when there is just too much, you need to ask yourself this absolutely critical question. What am I uniquely skilled to do? If we are all parts of the body of Christ, then we all have a role to play in that body. Some of us are organizers, some of us are fundraisers, some of us are the public face while others pass out flyers or tend to the children. The work before us is immense and figuring out what your particular talents are gives you a place to focus, a place to start. Throughout Christian history, we've often talked about this as discerning your spiritual gifts, but that language is so high-minded. It makes me feel like maybe I'm going to be gifted with some superpower. And these aren't superpowers. These are the nitty-gritty of getting the work done as mundane as your ability to work with numbers or word processing, with your fearlessness to make cold calls, or your persuasion to build relationships and grow connections. In the words of the poet Marge Piercy, the work of the world is common as mud. Martha isn't wrong when she looks around and she spots the incredible burden of work before her. Like my students, she is surveilling the reality of the world, and like all of us, she's overwhelmed by it. Mary probably sees it all too, except she's made an assessment that she can't do it all. She'll focus. She'll find Christ. She's made a choice to do the one thing, and now Martha is being invited into that choice also. I have a lot of compassion for Martha. As I was saying to Howard, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. I understand her anxiety, her worry, her distraction. I bet you do too. I've always wondered what happens next. It's a cliffhanger. Or perhaps the biblical authors understood that this is the perennial question What is the most important thing right now? What is my role in building up the kingdom of God right now? May we, each one of us, find the better portion.